Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. Today on Justice is Served, we're talking Corinne Gaines, Young Buck, an official platform for the Black Lives Matter movement and more. Stay with us. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Lives. Justice is Served. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on this, the first week of August, our latest episode of Justice is Served, where we cover the latest in legal news every single week. Thanks for joining me. My name is Chelsea Galicia. I'm an attorney and joined by fellow attorney Shaka Smith. Thank you so much for holding down the fort (laughs) last week when I was out. I got my um, political itch. Uh, scratched by uh, another show on a sister network. So if you're into politics and want to hear my many opinions about it, <laughs> you can uh, join me at AfterBuzz TV Trump versus Hillary on Tuesday nights at 7. Uh, therefore, I will leave all the, the talk today on legal stuff rather than itching my way to find how to bring in the politics, must, which is inundating our news. Yeah, it must be a lot of heavy lifting over there, Trump versus Hillary. Oh, yeah, that's good times. New and story then, every day. <laughs> yeah, and then we have got to share the uh, breaking news on one of your other shows. Yeah, so exciting. Um, we do the Greenleaf after show here on um, Black Hollywood Live, the first after show um, on the OWN network, and Oprah just tweeted me about tonight's episode. So. I literally saw him like lose his breath and then I was jumping up and down. Yeah. Oh my, that's so freaking uh, cool. To, to know that she's recognizing what we're doing over here at Black Hollywood Live and watching is amazing. So, so awesome. Yeah. Congrats. It yeah. must say a lot about the quality of the show that you're doing. Hopefully, so. yeah. When O talks about it, you know, you know you're in good, uh, good company. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so exciting things going on over here, but we, of course we've got to get to the legal news, yeah. which some is exciting and some not so much. Yeah. The first we're going to um, talk about the... Depending on how you look at it, tragic or not so tragic, death of Corinne Gaines. This is a has been framed by some people as another police brutality overstepping and killing a innocent, you know, black citizen of the United States. Yeah. And this one I see a little bit different. Mm-hmm. How do you see how this situation went down well, yeah, that led to her death just a couple of days ago yeah. in uh, Baltimore. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I kind of woke up to a lot of this stuff on Twitter, you know, <laughs> I get a lot of my news that way these days, and I'm seeing the hashtag trending, I'm, I automatically got upset about what was happening, but then when I read the story about what happened, then I became, I, I questioned, you know, where the movement was going. So it looks like she had had some traffic violations, and there was an arrest warrant out for her arrest. Not even just traffic. There was yeah. some a, a little bit more involved than that, um, including um, – God, I don't actually – don't. I'm not remembering off the top of my head, yeah. and I don't want to misspeak, but there were some that were slightly more serious yeah. than so, but violations that weren't of the nature that you would get shot over. You know, it wasn't definitely you, misdemeanors or infractions. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so they got a, an arrest warrant, and apparently the landlord gave them the, key, the officers the key to enter the. They the tried to apartment. knock on the door because they heard people inside. They knew she probably was in there. She yeah. didn't answer, so the landlord gave them the key. And it looks like you know she took a series of videos, but it looks like she had a gun that she threatened the police. She threatened to shoot them, and she refused to come out. She had her five-year-old child with her. This was a whole long hours ordeal. uh, Shut down the building. People had to be evacuated because she did not want to come out and be arrested. I guess nobody wants to be arrested. But. And apparently, the, once she, a few hours later, she makes another threat, and the officers open fire, and she fires back, and you know she subsequently gets killed, and the child unfortunately gets injured as well. Yeah, he got shot, but at this point, we don't know yeah. whose gun that shot yeah, came but from. I'd imagine it's the police. I'm going to assume she didn't misfire and shoot her own child, but it. 
it lent itself to a lot of questions. But initially, I'm saying, well, it looks like the police probably acted properly within the scope. You know, they acted in a way, in a manner that I wouldn't question further. But there are some videos that she had taken during this ordeal. And it looks like some of those videos are missing and some of her social media had been deleted. And she'd been documenting part of this ordeal on social media. And to counter that, the police said, well, yeah. this was an active situation going on. And so they asked the social media outlets to not post them because it showed what the police were doing, which was potentially endangering the police. And so, Well, it would only show what the police were doing from her vantage point. So it would be offering no more information to her than what she was garnering from looking around her surroundings. So that is the only suspicious part. So, uh, and, you know, the body cameras that they're supposed to have, apparently they're saying, well, they had just been implemented and may not have been working correctly. So I read, I read that they didn't even have them at all. Yeah, so they, I know the program had been implemented, but they obviously didn't have any working body cameras. So for so, me, this whole thing turns on whether it's true or not that she pointed the shotgun yeah, at an officer. Exactly. That she did fire the weapon, yeah. as they say that she did. Yeah. And if so then I, I guess I would understand that they would return force yeah, of that, that matched that exactly, level. Exactly. And so I certainly wouldn't, in this particular situation, question their, um, their methods. However... Because it seems like they took a long time. They yeah. tried to get her own family members there to try yeah. and negotiate with her to come out, and that didn't work. Yeah, but what I, what I do kind of mark is, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement has kind of embraced her as well. And they say that there are a lot of white shooters who are in similar situations, but they make it out alive. They're arrested alive. Um, and so I do, I think it should be, the situation should be examined from the context of are there de-escalation tactics the police could use? Um, however, if everything is true, I wouldn't fault the police for the tactics they did use and wouldn't question their judgment. But I would, going forward, wonder if we're able to arrest certain people in these type of situations, can we look for ways to arrest all people in these type of situations? Yeah, I think the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement kind of gets into dangerous territory when it starts trying to defend armed people. When they're go, pr- yeah. trying to defend the honor and name of unarmed victims of brutality, yeah. that is much more easy to get behind. Yeah. When you start... So, listen, she's a, a, a human being who is you know deserving of some sympathy, and you know she was... You know, who wants to be arrested? And, and, and of course, uh, if what they say is true, I, I believe the mentality that she has is born out of this sort of militant want not to follow the direction of the police because they have been operating poorly, at least in these landmark cases that we've seen across the country. Well, supposedly, and I I read something to the effect that she wouldn't even drive with a license plate. She had like a cardboard cutout yeah. that so, said that was something to say that she was not going to respect the law that required her to have, have a license. So given if all that is true, I, I 100% fault her not following the law and certainly following policies and procedures that would have helped to save her life. Um, but I do want to look at the broader problem, I think, in this country as to why she even had that mentality as to, to these issues that we need to kind of cure so that people aren't walking around not cooperating with the police. And I think that's something that we'll get to a couple stories down when we talk about the Black Lives Matter platform. Yeah, and I, yeah. Yeah, I think that was certainly part of it. All right. So to a lighter story, Young Buck spent the weekend in jail. Yeah. First, I'm like, okay, this is kind of silly. He just went in for the weekend for violating probation. Yeah. Apparently... The U.S. attorney thought he might uh, flee, and then he posed a danger to others. But by Monday, he was no longer a threat or danger to yeah. others. So he's out. Did this make sense to you? Well, it, it actually did, because 
he was put back into so he's on jail from the, in um well he's on probation from the 2012 gun charge. They had raided his home. They found some illegal weapons. So he's on probation from the gun charge. But now this stems from a July 21st incident where he goes to his ex-girlfriend's place. He, um, he, by text, he's threatened to torch down the place. He gets there, kicks in the door, and then leaves. Um, and so then subsequently on the 28th, they arrest him, um, saying he poses a danger and may flee. So it made sense in, in the fact that if he's really that passionate about the ex-girlfriend, he certainly may pose a danger to her. Maybe they want to he keep He only him. poses a danger on the weekends? I mean, it well, just was weird well, maybe, that it lasted like two days. Well, yeah, maybe they had him in jail enough time where they felt there was a cooling period or, you know, after talking to him or evaluating him, they thought he was no longer a threat to her. Um, so that makes sense in that way. But he does face a probation hearing um, coming up on this uh, violation. Yeah, this is, yeah. But he had no, yeah, no stranger to trouble. So hopefully he can uh, stay Ooh, out of it. Poor guy. All right. Um, here's another poor guy. Um, n- not very often do I come out as a staunch supporter of uh, an LAPD officer in an incident of alleged racism. Yeah. But in this case, I am. So back in, uh, I can't believe it's already so long ago, September 2014, uh, the Django act- uh, Unchained actress Danielle Watts was not pulled over. She was, I don't know. Um, well, she was stopped. Or, yeah. Well, she was already stopped <laughs> yeah. because she was in the car having sex with her boyfriend. She was interrupted, I guess. Yeah. Okay, that's a good word. Yeah. Interrupted yeah. Um, by an officer, uh, Sergeant Jim Parker. Yeah. And uh, the way things went down, according to her, he displayed racism and brutality towards yeah, he her. Had put the handcuffs on too tight. She was bleeding from the wrist. Yeah. And, you know, all of this is coming during a time when the nation was very heightened over these big racial issues with police. So this uh, sergeant was skewered in the media. Yeah. The LAPD didn't do much of anything to defend him, or so he felt. Yeah. And so he took matters into his own hands, which I, I, I huh? it's hard for me to fault him for doing this. Yeah. But he leaked the audio of the encounter, and it showed that, in fact, Danielle Watts was the aggressor and that there wasn't racism and this brutality that she had accused him of. So, yeah, but now we have the Ethics Commission coming after him and saying, well, you leaked a police tape to TMZ. What will let you do is plead no contest, essentially say that you're guilty and pay a $2,500 fine. If you're unwilling to do that, we're coming after you for $10,000. And he's unwilling to plead guilty and take a $2,500 fine. I've got his back on this one. I've got his back if he wasn't paid by TMZ for the audio. So that was never... I haven't found any disclosure about that. But if he was paid for the audio, I don't have his back. But if he was not paid for the audio and he just did it to clear his good name, then I have his back on it. Well, hmm, hmm. How does getting paid for it change my opinion? I mean, I think he wanted to leak it to clear his name. Yeah, but if he certainly made some financial recompense from it, then why not pay that into the, the, the fund of wrongdoing? Why because it was still a wrong act. Why doesn't the accuser pay the penalty? Because she sort of well, got him into this mess. Well, I mean, we don't really have a solution to... And certainly she's got civil, you know, there's civil suit. He can file a civil suit against Daniel Watts. Certainly. Yeah, I think that would be the way to go if he somehow lost this. And he may be able to use that to pay the fine. You yeah. Know? Um, but yeah, that, I didn't. I didn't think that that was so cool uh, at all. And um, I mean, I wonder was there a a more legal way for him to go about clearing his name? Well, certainly the police probably had 
a process for releasing tapes or, you know. I can just imagine, though. Or an investigation that would have. The level of yeah. heat that he was taking. Yeah, and obviously a police investigation concluding that another policeman was not racist doesn't help, you know. Yeah. So it, it, he was between a you know, rock and a hard place. But at the same time, you don't want to be breaking those department protocols as well. Oh, man. All right. Well, I wish him luck on that. Yeah. And then um, I also wish a lot of luck to State Attorney Marilyn Mosby of Baltimore. She was the attorney who filed the charges against the six officers who were involved in the death of Freddie Gray. Yeah. She made the agonizing decision, she called it, to drop the charges against the remaining officers after nearly half of them had been uh, found. I think we had three acquittals and we had one one hung... So the writing was on the wall that this was probably not going to go anywhere well for the prosecution, and she just decided essentially to fold. She said that there were a number of problems, including police mishandling of the investigation, which Mm -hmm. raises this whole question about whether the police should be investigating themselves, other people saying that other agencies offered to help and she declined. Uh, That's a mess that I think definitely needs to be addressed on a policy level Mm -hmm. Statewide, I wish nationwide, but that's probably not likely going to happen anytime soon. Uh, so now a total of five officers have come back to sue her. Yeah. What do you think their chances are of suing her successfully? Well, you know, th- there's governmental immunity, and you, you have a – just like police officers have a certain latitude in their job, um, so do state attorneys. Um, I think the charges are silly, a false arrest. And the, I mean, there is a man that died – of a homicide, yeah. and you were the last people to put your hands on him. How is this so far-fetched that you might be yeah. arrested for it? And what she may have done was poor decisions in her job, but you're not going to be held accountable, at least not legally, for poor decisions in your job in that sense. And so she didn't go after the the, the ranking officer on the scene. And a lot of legal experts have said, had she gone after the ranking officer and rather all the different uh, defects that took place with the other officers would have been upon the ranking officer to to take the legal blame for it. And had they gone that route, they might have seen a conviction. But I can't believe that even the misconduct in office charges didn't stick. And that's the part that makes me think that something is really bizarre and unjust here, that there wasn't even a, 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 a successful prosecution well, on something that which would seem to me as simple. Well, none of none of the prior prosecutions were for the ranking officer, so it could well be that they all said, well, we weren't the ranking officer, and so I rely on my ranking officer to tell me when a procedure is not, uh, pr- not proper. And so if they were using that defense, certainly that might sway a jury or a judge. Yeah, some other problems of the case is that it was difficult to prove the intent of officers, and I thought that was bizarre because in some of these you didn't need to prove intent, just no. ne- mere negligence. And so, again, I don't yeah. understand why those negligence no charges didn't, didn't hold up. And then during the investigation, they're obviously uh, questioning police officers, and there is a code of silence that you don't speak badly about fellow officers. And so that definitely had a negative impact on the ability to find out the truth about what happened here. So I just uh, – I believe that – in what she said when she said we've all bore witness to an inherent bias that's the result of when police police themselves. Um, A a major problem here that goes well beyond her. Yeah, and so I think that whole case was just a mess from the start, but uh, I think hopefully it still added to the conversation that we have about cleaning up our police departments. Yeah, and um, I think for for her sake and for the sake of justice, I hope that the 
police officers do not prevail in no. their case against her. I just that, that don't would have, see how. No, and that would have a chilling effect on you know state attorneys to do their job. So I, I don't. Think I know they want to be mad at her that they that she arrested them or pressed charges so quickly. Yeah. I okay. We the investigation could have been longer. Probably in hindsight should have been longer. But I think she was fairly concerned about the public outcry. Yeah. Like, and and the fact that it seems it seems simple um, an unarmed man who didn't do anything except make eye contact with police officers and then run away yeah. which is not against and the law at the time they said he had an illegal switchblade which turned out to be a legal pocket knife and then now they're countering yeah. to say it actually was illegal because it was spring um, it had a spring in it. It was, uh, my, but they didn't know that at the time. So yeah. just this, like, trying to harp on these tiniest of details to justify why this man was killed, really, yeah. is just uh, obscene to me. And, um, and and I think, believe, strongly hope that in this um, this joint platform that was released not just by the Black Lives Matter movement, but by 50 black organizations will help address some of the problems that are leading to deaths like Freddie Gray. Yeah, absolutely. But before we get there, we do have a word from our uh, sponsor. All right. Looking for a career in tech? Maybe. Business, data, design, or marketing? Trying to get that promotion or raise? To excel in the, your career, you need 21st century training and skills. General Assembly is the largest and most respected school worldwide for people seeking to grow their talents and master the marketplace. Whether it's learning remotely online or in person at one of their beautiful campuses, you can join the 350,000 people who have already gotten the training needed to propel careers in tech and business. More than 2,500 companies worldwide hire GA's graduates, with 99% of graduates who participate in GA's career services landing a new role in field within six months of starting their job search. Take control of your talent and career now. Find out more at ga.co backslash geek. That's ga.co backslash G-E-E-K. All right. Enter the promo code geek to save on your first class, workshop, or event. That's ga.co backslash geek, code word geek. Great. Thank you, General uh, Assembly, Mm -hmm. for supporting Justice is Served and uh, other shows here on Black Hollywood Live. So now the good news about this joint platform. The good news is that there is a joint platform, that this has gone just from a hashtag or rallying cry to some concrete policy uh, requests um, or or moves. What do you think of this sort of turn in the way that they're using the movement? Uh, to be honest, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> you were disappointed uh, that they turned it into a platform? Or no, with not what that they the turned platform? it into what the platform called for. Okay. Um, so the platform actually had a number of very good, smart proposals. Education it, reform, or, reparations, which is a very controversial one. And that's what we'll go back to. <laughs> uh, abolition of the death penalty, yeah. other, other and things. And then you know, getting rid of uh, drug offenses, um, some sex crimes. Yes, and dear so, God. I just want to put in that I right now am reading a really fascinating book. Um, it's called The Cannabis Manifesto, and it was written by Steve D'Angelo, who is the uh, the founder of Harborside Health Center. Remember when? Oh, we yeah, covered we that story, story yeah. earlier this year about how the feds dropped their case against the largest marijuana dispensary in the country. Uh, that's Steve D'Angelo's uh, dispensary. But it goes into the whole history of the war on drugs. And I 
kind of, I had a sense of it, but when you read this book, you realize how it was just meant to go after blacks and Hispanics. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, that should be the first and foremost goal of the platform, I believe, is to end the war on drugs. I mean, let's just start with getting marijuana out of the Schedule 1, mm-hmm. right? So Schedule 1 under because, the Controlled Substance Act. Yeah, there's acts. no medical benefit, so you can't even study it on a federal level. And we know from millennia of history yeah. before Prohibition that there are mm. medical benefits to it. They've been studied, they've been quashed by the government. Some of them were government-sponsored studies. So it's mm. not any great mystery to say that cannabis has medicinal benefits. Yeah. Get it out of Schedule 1 immediately then go on and uh, legalize it state by state or, you know, federally. I mean, that's, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be yeah. the domino effect of so many states yeah. doing it. But I think that that should be the primary right. push, and I didn't see that in the platform. Yeah, and I, and I, and I do think that when you get when you remove it from Schedule 1 and the federal studies can then prove its efficacy, then you're going to remove it even further down the schedules and maybe decriminalize it altogether on a federal level. Because I think that right now that is the largest single cause of the unjust arrest, the mass incarceration, the oppression. Um, I think that would turn things on their head if we if we got that. Yeah. There are some other, you know, suggestions investing in education and health reform and then even supporting that HR 40 which would look into how financially um, blacks have been disproportionately affected by slavery and by Jim Crow. Yeah, but for people that yeah. are like that happened so long ago, yeah. that means they haven't opened a history book. It wasn't well, that long yeah, I mean, ago. Jim Crow was like in the 60s, so you know, it's not that far, not that far. Right. But I mean, your parents can like some people's parents and grandparents can remember these days. But when they were asking for reparations, that part I didn't like, and I it, I thought it was an unfortunate part of the platform for me because I thought it made everything it, it made everything else not you didn't want to listen to, because if that's part of it, then it makes it seem as if the rest of it also follows in that line. I, I just don't agree were with Were the it. reparations for yeah. individuals, or yeah. is there a way to do reparations to communities? Well, they were calling for reparations for individuals. It's and, really, it's really tough, and you know, I'm not necessarily and, against it, but I just see so many people well, that are. It's just never going to happen, well, and it's going to distract us from the things that we might actually be able to get and, done. And I'm just a thousand percent against reparations because I do think when you call for things like public education, and those are reparations. I think the fact that we have a welfare system to help people of different socioeconomic statuses, you know, achieve different, you know, whatever it is they need to meet their needs. I think that is a form of reparation. Well, um, and I think even the progressives who are against. Rep, uh, reparations are like, if you give some people this money, they're, uh, unless they have financial education, are just going to blow it on silly things, and it's not going to make a difference to them, their lives, or their children. And that's why we have things like affirmative action to help even the playing field, you know? And so we, I think we have those things to help even the playing field already in place. They need to be better. Those systems need to be monitored better as well. But I don't think reparations is the answer, and I think it detracts from the rest of the things that societally we should be doing to uplift people that have been obviously affected by slavery and Jim Crow. All right, so just in case they're asking, that's our <laughs> opinion. Even though I'm not necessarily against it, I I, I, I just I think can't we see can af- why we'd be giving cash payments to individuals at this stage. Unless you were... Uh, because cash, that that's how we 
make people whole. And I use the yeah. air quotes because that's and the only sort reason of the legal would, standard that we're... And the only reason I would say is if you were directly affected, but then you have the civil system, then you file suit when you're directly affected by something. And, you know, we have cases where people have been monetarily compensated for, um, whether it was wrongful incarceration because they were black or, you know, things of that nature, they still get compensated through the system. Yeah. So I don't think reparations are needed. Some of the other ones, demilitary, demilitarizing police forces, I I'm think all for that one. Yes, certainly all for that, or at the very least, you know, educating police forces when they have more tools at their disposal. That's definitely one of them, and they're ending the money bail system. We've talked a little bit about how it unfairly sort of targets people who don't yeah. have money, so it's sort of like a, yeah. a tax on poor people, or yeah. you're you're going to stay in jail longer if you're, if you're poor. Um, I understand that. That one. Unionizing efforts for domestic um, uh, and, wait. Farm I'm, workers, and, yeah. Domestic yeah. workers and farm workers. Yeah. Uh, that was interesting to me. Yeah. I didn't see how that was immediately connected to yeah, I mean, what it, the Black Lives it, Matter movement and other yeah. movements similar have been pushing for. I mean, I don't know if that was, because uh, I know the Latino community, I don't know if that was a, a pitch to, to get them involved as well, if there were organizations that were like, you know, Afro Afro Latino yeah. organizations involved. That's, but. I mean, that's that's a super rough one. Union decline has been massive in the last yeah. thirty years. A good movie on that one is Robert Reich's movie Inequality for All. Yeah. Um, full, I'm full of resources today. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's going to be a, a a tough one. I mean, I look at these and I'm like. These are all things that Bernie Sanders was saying. Why didn't the, you know, these organizations get behind him? But <laughs> whatever. That's over for now. Um, for Well, actually, no, it's not. He's started the Sanders Institute, and there's an, a, a movement that's continuing it called Our Revolution, which I think these 50 organizations should look into because they match very much what I understand and I, and I think the platform that, to be. And I think that's going to be something that this this movement has to do it's got to engage others it can't just be a movement of just black organizations it's got to be a movement of different organizations because a lot of what they're talking about doesn't just touch um, black people it doesn't just touch minorities you know a lot of it touches you know poor white people in certain communities true yeah all right oh this was interesting decriminalizing sex work yeah how are you on that you know, I, 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 I <laughs> this is kind of putting you on the uh, spot, but uh, it's something I haven't researched in terms of its impact. Um, I, and I don't, and I don't know if decriminalizing sex work means more exploitation of people that don't want to be in the sex industry. Yeah, that's my only concern with it too. I've seen that in some countries, and I can't remember which ones. They're actually they prosecute the men for buying it, but not the women who are selling it. And. That's an interesting solution. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I agree with it, but it sounds interesting. (laughs) All right. Okay. And finally, six more state employees were criminally charged Mm -hmm. in the Flint water crisis. So on the surface, that sounds good. Like, okay, people are, are being held accountable for this. This crisis, which, by the way, has only been made worse recently, and I'm not sure if trash collection has resumed, but I read that the trash collection in Flint stopped on Monday. Oh, wow. And, and we know that the water there is still not safe, yes. which, which was a surprise it's to me. It's just un- yeah. unbelievable to me that that's happening in any city in in america that they still don't after now like practically two yeah. years it's yeah. been and when we don't say, have clean water and when we say the water is not safe it meant that t- more than 10 percent of homes 
um, can still find, I believe it's like 15 parts per billion um, of lead. And there's supposed to be no lead whatsoever in the water. So that means it's still unsafe. So the the charges against these state employees um, are for current or former employees of either the State Department of Environmental Quality or the Department of Health and Human Services. And the first thing my mind does is if they weren't able to prosecute successfully the six guys that had something to do directly with Freddie Gray's death, are they going to have to, you know, any teeth to go after these six people that tangentially had something to do with the the yeah. lead pipes. Maybe I'm making connections that aren't well, there. Well, I think unlike that, the Freddie Gray case, here you can probably have some emails. You're probably going to have a written documents that show what people are doing. And here's the problem. These are state employees. So yeah. these are people going to say, I was just doing as I was told. Yeah. So I was following what my supervisor and their supervisor, and really, doesn't this just all go back up to the governor and the city and whoever made the decision to switch over the water source? Well, even the even employees still have some sort of basis of of negligence, you know, negligent standard that they have to adhere to as well. So whether it was negligent um, and not um, identifying that they need to replace the, or because they the, they knew or should have known when enough complaints were made that the water was yeah, dangerous so, and then they didn't. Yeah, because it looks like by 2014, yeah, by 2014 they knew that the water wasn't safe. Um, 2015 like immediately yeah. it started coming out smelly and gross looking and after they made the switch. And they're getting all the complaints and then in 2015 by July 2015 these same employees are still putting out there that um, it's due to some seasonal variations and it, there's no actual issue with the water. And so I think that's what uh, at least four of them are on the hook for. I will be shocked if any of these, now it's a total of nine employees, are convicted of anything. I'm going to give it like a 10% chance. Oh, no, I think think they will be convicted. I think you're going to have a paper trail, whereas in some of the other cases you didn't have it. Oh, man, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting jaded, but for some (laughs) reason I don't have a lot of faith. Um, and interesting and to Flint. note, it's the Republican, um, it's the Republican Attorney General that's uh, pushing forward with this plan. So hopefully, yeah, some after of these the Republican it, governor, yeah. But I'm just hoping these issues are like bipartisan issues, and we're not, you know, seeing more partisanship. But <laughs> I'm sure in your show, two you're years plenty, later, yeah. yeah. Oh man, okay. I hope there is reprieve for the people of Flint. This is just in it just. Uh, Awful. I just, I don't know. I feel like saying I'm sorry, even though I have nothing to do with it. Or I mean, I'm just, I'm sorry. Um, All right. So that will have to be the last story that we cover today. Thank you so much for joining us on Justice is Served. Please be sure to give us comments, feedback, likes. I'm at Chelsea Galicia. And I'm at Shaka Strong on Twitter and Instagram. And we will be back next week for another episode of Justice is Served. Join us then. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram at King XO Bay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.